Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Hi, everyone. I hope that you are having a great week. Today, we are doing another listener letter episode, which means that I am responding to letters from you. So you can email me or DM me on Instagram, however you want to send me a question, and then I compile different letters and respond via these episodes. It's an awesome way to kind of get feedback on your life um, from someone who doesn't totally know you, from someone who's outside of your experience. Um, There might be questions that you have wanted to ask a therapist before, but haven't had access to one or just haven't gone yet. So for whatever reason that you would like to write me a letter, I would love to read it. Um, I love your questions. I love hearing from you and getting to hear more about your life. You know, in fact, if you are listening, would you introduce yourself to me on Instagram or come say hi in some way? I'm at Elise Snipes underscore collective. I would love to get connected to you there. Um, In fact, the month of October, I'm going to be doing a lot of new different things on social media, and I'm going to be releasing all my different dates for weekends. Um, So if we're not connected there, get in touch with me. I'd love to let you know about um, some of the things that I am building. I am working on some new online courses and material I've been putting together um, in case you wanted a little something extra besides this podcast. So find me. Um, would love to help you stay in the know or sign up for emails on my website, elisesnipes.com. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> Dear Elise, I wondered if you would be willing to share your thoughts on a few things. One, I find it difficult to live every day wondering if or when my husband will relapse. The answer, I'm sure, is nobody can predict their future, live for today, or something along those lines but I have yet to hear tangible advice or guidance on this topic that causes me so much anxiety. Our life now is wonderful for the first time and I fear losing what we've gained. So this is typical normal expected in the relationship you're in. I want you to think of it like PTSD, okay? You're anxious about the bottom dropping now because it has so many times before. This is not because you think your husband will fail but because you have experienced real disappointment and letdown when he has relapsed before. The challenge of recovery is that there are no guarantees. But here's what I want you to think about. Okay, none of us have that. No guarantees about anything. And as much anxiety as that might produce, that is the reality. So maybe releasing yourself from the need to know how it will all unfold and giving yourself permission to enjoy your relationship and your husband's sobriety for what it is right now to start there, to see what happens. And I know that you've heard advice along those lines. Um, So abstractly, like you know you need to find some form of that. Practically, you can create ways to remind your body and brain to stay in the present and to practice gratitude. One tip, okay, create a personal mantra you can say to yourself to counteract what your anxiety is saying. Okay, so here are some examples. I will be anxious for nothing. He is sober today. I am grateful for what is now. 
This is real and this is good. We are here now and happy. Okay, do you feel the power of any one of those statements? Anything that you choose, any statement you could make that would help you enter the here and now and refuse anxiety's attempt to derail you. Anxiety always wants to pull people to the future and guilt wants to push people to the past. So staying in the here and now automatically refutes both those experiences, okay? The other thing I would throw your direction are contemplative practices, meditation, breathing. All of this helps with being committed to the right now reality of your marriage, okay? So abstractly, I know that you already know everything (laughs) that you need to remember about the not predicting your future, living for today. But practically, you have to begin to train your body and brain to enter into the here and now so that anxiety doesn't hold like the power over you like some master puppeteer, okay? The second part of your question, forgiving your spouse for the past. On the surface, I've already done so, but I still lack trust in him because every single time I start to regain trust in the past, I've been taught not to do so by his actions. How can we as a couple work through this together? Okay, I love this question. One of my first episodes was about forgiveness, the F word. And I will tell you, forgiveness is not for sissies. And it is also not a one-time event. It is an ongoing way of life. It's a continual sense of choosing not to pick up the first stone. Okay, I also think forgiveness and trust are two different concepts. You can choose to be in a state of forgiveness towards your husband which is really just accepting them for who they are as they are right now. Okay, but trust, trust is built, earned, observable, objective. Trust is also not a given or a guarantee. It's not just because someone changed. It takes time to be patient. Consider each day of those 20 months tangible bricks that are laying a foundation where you can rebuild your trust. You know, when you're building a real thing like trust, it doesn't come cheaply. Don't beat yourself up for not having that right away. Um, Couples can work through this together. Um, In one part, it is him committing to his own change and just doing the thing. And then you committing to your own change and acknowledging when he does the thing, right? So my only if in this situation is what is it that your needs actual forgiveness? Is it his addiction? Is there anything else? If they're the big doozies, the like infidelity, um, abuse of any type, um, just a radical um, abuse of trust, then those are the things you might want to do a little professional coaching about. Um, professionals can help do some specific guided work to help you navigate that. Um, there are a lot of Things like people do, don't seek therapy for coaching because of like the shame of other people knowing the extent of their story. But why stay like in the prison of your own marriage um, when you don't have to stay stuck like that? Okay, so with trust, it takes time. It is separate from forgiveness. Remember that you can be in a state of forgiveness towards your husband while working towards the reality of building trust in a way that is true. Okay, you can do this. <laughs> Uh, Next question comes from a mama. Dear Elise, (laughs) love your podcast. You gently kick me in the ass if that is even a thing. (laughs) At the end of your going back to school podcast, you mentioned making a family mission statement. 
This is something I've been thinking about for a while, but I don't even know where to start. Do you have any recommendations on how to get started, how to make it true to our unique family, and how to keep it simple? We'd love to hear your ideas. Okay. Um, The gentle ass kick I'm obsessed with, and I would like this to be (laughs) my new profile. Um, Okay, the family mission statement. Yes, this is is something that I have um, taught at a bunch of different parenting and family groups over the years. And it's one of my favorite things because I feel like just like for any company, when we know what we're about, we have the opportunity to continue to come back to it time after time and make sure that how we are doing is um, in line with what we say we're about, right? So it brings like an element of like congruity to our family. It gives us both like a vision and a way to execute said vision. So the family mission statement, um, depending on how old your kids are, I would involve them in every step, Okay. The other thing, keep a thesaurus on hand or use the app or whatnot, because we don't want to just um, come up with a word and have it be generally what we're thinking, but we want to be as specific as we can when we're building this mission statement. Um, I am visual, so I like to like write on the whiteboard. Um, We have this, um, these windows behind our dining room table, so I'll write up there with whiteboard marker too. So I'll explain kind of what the mission statement is, and then I broke it down like this. This is one template or one way you can do it. One, choose a descriptive word. Two, an action word. And three, a value word. So if you're starting with your family mission statement, I want you to gather the family with your thesaurus and think about what is a descriptive word about our family, an action word, and a value word. Okay? So then you spend time kind of throwing up a bunch of words in each of those categories. Let everybody contribute a descriptive word and then keep making sure that that word is exactly the one that you wanted to land on, okay? So the descriptive word should be about your family, who you guys are. The action word is what you guys do or want to do. And the value word is what that action is achieving, okay? So here's some examples. Um, If your descriptive words, that could include things like, compassionate, real, kind, service-oriented, fun, okay? The second category, action, could be like help, support, work, serve, create. The third column, if value words, could be community, quality, time, family, food. (laughs) Um, Now you have your three columns of different words. Make sure that you have your thesaurus there so you can find out if you wanted to tune up any of those specific words. And then you put that all together into a statement. So something that could fit based on those examples are, we are a compassionate real family who works to create community through good food and good times. Or the Snipes are a fun family committed to making others feel welcome by spreading kindness. Or something super simple, just list your three words. Snipes, real, creative, kind. Okay, so there are a million ways you can take this, but I'm hoping that this at least gets you started on something. Um, It will open the conversation to at least help you guys understand what everyone's different perspectives are in your family and how they want to communicate it. Um, If you are listening and you're like, what is she talking about? (laughs) I released this back to school episode and talked about creating this family mission statement as a way to help focus your family on what you guys are about. Um, it's a really great exercise. It's also not a permanent thing. This should be an evolving statement just as your family is evolving. You might have different seasons where 
your values are shifting as you as you guys grow. Um, you might have different ways in which your availability is able to put that action word into place. Um, there were years where we, my husband and I, we um, were involved in a lot of different like ministries, and so we were out of our house a lot. Since we've had kids, we have been hosting a lot more, and so the way, like the action or the way that we work towards our like values um, have shifted. So you might just want to consider like what stage of life your family's in and where you are able to kind of host the, you know, what you guys are about. Um, yeah. So yeah, do that. I'd love to hear what you guys think and what you guys come up with. And again, that was just one example of how you can do that, but it might be a good way to get started. Um, okay. I'm also going to just briefly say, I would love it if you are listening and if you could do me a favor, would you guys leave me a review on iTunes or take a screenshot of what you're listening, when you're listening, and post it to your social media and tag me. Your support in that way means a lot to me. It helps me get to continue to build this thing and kind of spread the word about Trailer Cast or what I'm doing. Um, I, I would genuinely appreciate it. I know it's an ask, but I wanted to ask. So thank you. Okay, another letter that comes next is someone who is looking for the right therapist. I went to my first therapist and was turned off when I learned she had been divorced. My second therapist, I've been three times. I have really connected with her and I'm excited about making progress, but now I know she has been divorced. Is it weird to think my therapist should be a Christian or married? I'm struggling because I really like her and the progress we've made, but I'm questioning her because she's been divorced. I am obviously struggling with trust issues, but I have no idea outside of Google of how to find a therapist. I appreciate your time. Okay, long short of it. (laughs) Yes. Um, you do need to find your best therapist and do some good work. It really is going to be life-changing, but here's the thing. It sounds like your most recent therapist is a good fit. Whatever her experiences are outside of the room are hers. How she is in the room with you is what is important. It is not weird at all to have preconceived notions of what you want your therapist to be like. Just be careful that it isn't a Mary Poppins wish list that is inconceivable, okay? Also, okay, therapists as people might be different than therapists as therapists. So how I am in my personal life might take a different tone than how I am in my practice, right? Like I don't bring in my political leanings or spiritual stuff because they're mine and they're not for the work. Does that, does that make sense, right? Like we don't understand or know what happened to your therapist that led her to divorce, but that might be really inconsequential to the work that you're trying to do. Um, I think it is valuable to look for a therapist you connect with, but I think that the form this person takes might surprise you, okay? To the people looking for a female conservative, like Christian therapist, you might end up with a male Buddhist gay therapist and that person's exactly what you need, right? Open up the context of what you think you're looking for. Healing and help and growth and challenge can take so many different forms. As long as you are feeling good about the work that you're doing, um, the therapist is really the medium, right? For, For the magic or the work that's happening, So do not confuse the form that that medium takes, right? I hope hope that that makes sense. 
When you're looking for someone, we can be surprised that they show up in a way we never expected. So open up your mind to accept the fact that your healing might come in a way that you never expected. How you look for a good therapist is you are already trusting your experience. You have to at least go to know if that person's going to be a right fit. When we stay behind the safety of a Google search bar, how are we actually going to know if we've connected to that person? We won't. You've already done the hard work of getting um, into the appointment and showing up multiple times. So keep on going and pay attention to your work. Also, please give therapists a chance. If there is something coming up, bring it up. Um, if you have a question about her divorce because it's affecting your, your, your therapeutic progress, bring it up. Um, people sometimes think that they can't tell their therapist the things they're actually thinking about. That's exactly what we're here for. So, so bring it into the room if you feel like it's impeding your work in some way. Okay, enjoy your therapy. <laughs> um, okay, this is question number three, four. I found you after listening to Rachel Hollis's podcast and I've been trying to catch up on your work ever since. I love and appreciate what you're doing and I love that you're bringing therapy out to people in a way that is so open, accessible, and welcoming. My question for you is long. This past weekend, I had what I call a bad day. And by that, I mean one, I made one small mistake in the morning starting a cascade that led me to locking myself away from my husband and kids to deal with or wallow in all of the negative self-talk racing through my mind and cried it out. At no point did I have racing heart or hard time breathing like the classic panic anxiety attack. But after I went to the grocery store that afternoon to pick up some things we needed for dinner, crying all the way, which was totally not embarrassing at all, Thank goodness for sunglasses. I took a couple minutes to listen to some fun music I could tolerate. When I'm having a bad day, sometimes music makes it worse. And I made myself do some dancing in the car. I realized I was starting to feel better and within a couple hours was feeling tons better. So my question is, what the heck was that? Would that qualify as an anxiety attack? I have not been to therapy yet, but definitely have a higher than normal level of anxiety exacerbated by the fact that I'm about four months postpartum and have an autoimmune disorder. It's the perfect storm. I've noticed that my bad days have been more frequent than usual lately, and this was a slap-in-the-face wake-up call. I have been working on my diet, and I'm definitely going to have my thyroid levels checked ASAP, and after this incident, I talked to my husband, and we agreed to find a way for me to start going to the gym every day, even if it's just to walk on the treadmill or do yoga, since I read exercise is good anxiety prevention. The gym isn't new for me. I've trained for the and ran the glass slipper challenge at Disney, um, and being pregnant just sort of derailed that good habit. Anyway, this is long. If you have a previous podcast I could listen to where you may have already addressed something like this, um, just let me know. Okay. She signed anxious about anxiety. <laughs> Dear anxious about anxiety, don't get lost in semantics. Okay, it really doesn't matter what we call it. Whatever it was, it brought this level of disruption to your typical life that partly freaked you out and partly became a catalyst for you to ask some bigger questions and take some action steps. Okay, people spend years chasing the origin of things, desperate to understand the why. The why can be irrelevant if they aren't going to do anything about it. So I'll typically challenge the why for the what. Like, does it really matter why? What are you going to do about it? to start shifting their perspective and getting into some form of change. Once people get into motion about their thing, the questions change, the power changes, 
And at some point, we will go back and ask the why question because now they realize that the why was not contingent on their growth, change, or healing. Okay, so the, the why, I'm wondering why that happened or why I'm experiencing that or why this happened to me or why this stuff keeps happening or why I have depression or why whatever, right? Sometimes the why is an avoidance tool to actually have to do something about what is going on. Not always, but I'm telling you that we can use this creatively as a way to keep us from having to do any actual work. And if that's the case, I will call it out because I don't want you to sit there chasing your tail on something that might be irrelevant to you, actually gaining some power and some tools to do something about the experience you're having, okay? So to you specifically, it sounds like you already know how to get moving, how to develop good habits, you know how to take care of your physical body, but my, my question about your letter, or my thoughts, I guess, are this. The negative inner monologue that you referred to at the beginning is not a physical problem. Do you hear that? You cannot take that problem to the gym. You cannot outrun that. How we respond to ourselves when we blow it or make a mistake or whatever it is, that is an intricate work that often reveals our self-concept our old wounds, the things people have said about us or to us, and that we have incorporated as like this super bad mixtape that won't quit. This is the work of therapy, okay? The, this is the work right here. The untangling the messages, replacing punishing statements, identifying the inner critic, developing a dialogue instead of a monologue, And then shifting the conversation to something that is more gracious, reality-based, and productive. Okay, this work will bring you the change you are looking for. Then all the behavioral changes that you already have in place, they're just going to catapult that work forward. So here's a side note. The autoimmune stuff. Don't underestimate how those wreak havoc on all your other systems. Take care of everything biologically so it doesn't confuse the work psychologically. Okay, I am walking that very path right now and it is tricky and sometimes something feels emotional, but sometimes it is because of the autoimmune stuff, not the actual stuff stuff. (laughs) So you need to organize your insides, figure out what goes in what category and then take it one thing at a time. If something is biological related to an autoimmune disorder, then you go to a doctor and you get that stuff handled. You then build the, the behavioral changes that you are capable of, going to the gym, taking time for yourself. Again, that's a physical realm of like growth, healing, and change. Then the emotional, psychological work, that can really only be done in an emotional, psychological way. That is the work that you still have left, the untangling of that message, the way that you sink into this um, cycle of really just self-punishment after you've made a mistake. Um, as a mom, as a wife, um, you will never be short of opportunities to practice having grace on yourself. The work of being married and raising a family is radically difficult and it is going to pull out all your like twisted, gutsy insides and you're going to have to look at it. Do it. Because once you do, you're going to realize you have really nothing to be afraid of. We develop a dialogue with our inner critic in a way that we gain some power back and can say, hey, you know what? Everybody struggles with something. Motherhood is tough. Sometimes I blow it. I am learning. 
It is okay for me to make mistakes. It's how you get back up, right? Creating a dialogue that allows for you to continue to be in process rather than shaming the space that you're already in, okay? Anxious about anxiety, you are capable beyond measure. Do this work. Next letter, hi Elise. My husband is a stay-at-home dad of three girls and has been suffering with possible depression. He has been having lots of lows and I have been trying to help him and have suggested he go see a therapist and that I would go with him if he wants. He doesn't seem to want to take that step and I really want some advice on how I could help him. Appreciate anything you have to say. Thanks so much. I feel um, helplessness even reading that. You know, there's not a lot of great information or support out there for spouses of people who are suffering with depression, anxiety, or any other type of disorder. And the experience of being affected by their emotional state and yet not being able to do anything about it, it's radical. So let me reinforce something for you. You cannot relieve his depression. And I'm sorry, I wish that this wasn't the case, but you also need to listen when I say it is not your fault. There isn't anything you can do about it So don't take responsibility for trying to solve, fix, or disappear his experience. Okay, also listen when I say that when people are suffering from this type of depression, they do need help and are often stuck in the fog of depression and cannot find basic solution. The challenge is delicately balancing wanting to help and then them feeling ashamed or worse because they are typically sensitive to how their depression or anxiety affects the family system. Some part of depression, the helplessness, is probably their experience of themselves as well. They don't know how to take the first step. But if someone keeps taking that first step for them, then we're disabling the person from being able to step into their own life and we're feeding the depression. So all that to say, you need to know what is within your realm of power and influence and what isn't. So you can communicate clearly and make direct observations of what you see. Okay, I want you to try it on like this. Honey, I know you. And I know you to be honest, good, loving, and fun. Depression is robbing you of yourself and the rest of us too. And whether or not you see that might be a symptom of the depression itself, but I need you. We all need you to come back to us. Would you consider some form of therapy? How can I support you in getting back to you? That's the question. How can I support you in getting back to you? This is direct, it's honest, it's caring, it's simple. Okay, some other out-of-the-box things. He might do online therapy via FaceTime or whatever because it is hard to leave the house when you feel like crap. There are lots of therapists who practice teletherapy and can easily set up an appointment right in your home. You know, the field of therapy is changing and there will be more and more options that are outside of the box that will benefit our constantly evolving society or the fact that people who sometimes need the help the most don't have access to it. When you communicate to your husband, you have to make sure that you keep it, it simple and, and right to the heart of things. I love you. How can I help support you through this? How can I support you coming back to yourself? 
Okay, and then as a partner, you, you need to make sure you're still taking care of you. I cannot tell you the amount of partners in this dynamic that end up disintegrating themselves because they are focusing on the problem and they're losing focus of what needs to be taken care of, okay? So remember, sometimes the helplessness and despair of depression in a home can infiltrate like the overall mood of the family. You do not have to fuse with this, okay? Something else, uh, depression is not who your husband is, okay? So maybe remember that we want to start separating him from the symptoms, he is not depressed. Depression is affecting him. Can you hear the difference? There's a difference when we personify or personalize or take on this cloak of I am depressed versus separating that and saying depression, a separate entity, is affecting me from seeing myself clearly, from seeing the world clearly, from seeing others clearly. Depression, an outside agent, is affecting the way that I think, feel, and behave. Okay. Take care of you. It's the whole oxygen mask thing. You do not need to go down with the ship. There is actual help available for your husband and it might take different forms. I think that if he is open to even doing like a FaceTime session, that might be a great spot to start. Um, men or women, I really do feel like men have liked the accessibility of teletherapy because they don't have to explain to people where they're going or why they're going. They get to kind of keep the privacy of that relationship and it's easy, right? You don't have to go anywhere. You don't need childcare to do it. You can just do it in the privacy of your own home. Um, your husband will come back to you. He just needs some help in order to do that. So do not give up. I'm glad that you wrote in. I hope that you feel a sense of like direction or some simple shifts that you can do in order to get this thing back on, the, on track. Uh, next question, short and controversial. What do you think about conversion therapy for same-sex attraction? I've been through this many times in the past, and it never seems to work. Okay, my answer, it's bullshit. It doesn't work because there is nothing that needs changing. The end. I'm suffering from secondary unexplained infertility. I have a beautiful, healthy boy, a supportive partner that hurts with me. I cycle between grief and acceptance that coincides perfectly with my menstrual cycle, of course. Will I hurt forever? Is it the way people never stop feeling sad over losing someone they love? My life has been so easy to this point. It seems I feel so unprepared for the sadness, like waking up at a marathon I didn't train for. But I also feel selfish. Mm. Mama, the unexplainable nature of this grief is crippling. It feels so different when we have something to point to. Some reason, some explanation, some thing we can say, aha, see, that's why. You know, it makes us feel like we have some mastery over these radically huge unexplainable things. But you have not been given that. Instead, you are swirling in the realm of not knowing why. What are you filling in the gaps with? How are you answering your own questions? How you think, feel, and talk to yourself about this infertility is an essential part of your continued journey. Okay, I don't know that any of us expect grief, loss, inexplainable brokenness. 
which is why it all feels so wrong and why we search the why so hard because it all just feels like it could have been avoidable if I only would have, and fill in the blank. We can assume responsibility for our darkness in an effort to at least have something to stand on. So be aware of how long you stay in any one place in this grief. You will not feel this way forever, I promise. But even that does not always relieve what is now. So what does? What lifts you even a little bit? Whatever that is, heap it on yourself right now. Swim in it, bask in it. You need it right now. I'm going to say a couple things to you as well about grief. And I mean it, not as some cheap platitude, but as in the, I have wept and bled in these places and come out on the other side to tell you that the depth of your grief is forging all these new places in you, grooving you right now with what feels like despair and loss and darkness. You are weeping tears into the soil of these places, of these like new bottoms and spaces you didn't even know existed or were possible to descend to. And, and those tears will water, nourish, and prepare the soil of your soul for a beauty, a joy you would never have had room for if grief did not pave the way. Hear me. You will reap flowers and life and wonder in the places that now seem desolate and empty. So descend. Explore the vastness of this season. You are not broken. Claim all the territory within you as a place that will fiercely bloom in the face of the inexplicable. We're with you, Mama. To all of you who are listening, what parts of your story are emerging today? What struck you? What did you feel as you were listening? Make room for your experience today. Honor what you have been through or are in the midst of. You are not done yet. And there is still so much good in front of you. So stand tall. Lift your chin. And march. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you are interested in beginning your own work in therapy or coaching, you can go to www.elisesnipes.com. Follow me on Instagram at Elise Snipes Collective, where I will be sharing more with you throughout the week. You can get in touch with me to suggest a topic for the show or to ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered. Or just say hi by emailing me at elise at elisesnipes.com. Remember to subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends.